nice things about you, because it's very hard to say bad things about somebody at a funeral, isn't it? Uh, you, re- you, you rarely hear anything bad, so, but, <clears throat> bad said at a funeral, but somebody was to come and they were to eulogize you, and they were to speak of what your life has counted for, what would they say? What would they actually say about you? <clears throat> um, what would they actually pick up and write down about you? What would they tell people about you? Interesting case in history, Alfred Nobel, uh, how many of you are familiar with that name, Alfred Nobel? <clears throat> yeah. What, what, what do we know him as? Nobel Peace Prize. Nobel Peace Prize. Alfred Nobel one day read his own eulogy in the newspaper. What had happened was his brother had died, and a French newspaper had picked it up wrong and thought it was him that had died. But what they, what they did was they called him the, <clears throat> the doctor of death, or the author of death. Because previous to that point in Alfred Nobel's life, he's, his father was a, a, an ammunition uh, manufacturer. Alfred Nobel had taken over from him. And Alfred Nobel's great contribution to the world uh, <clears throat> was that he, he discovered dynamite. Right? Uh, it was the ultimate weapon in his day. And he, and he read the newspaper, and the newspaper talked about him as being the author of all this death, and he was dead. And it just caught him, and he realized what his legacy was. His re- he realized what his values had been up to that point. And <clears throat> it shocked him to his core, and he changed things completely. He put 96% of his vast fortune, it was over $8 million, into a fund to fund the Peace Prizes, the Nobel Peace Prize. Uh, and what he did, so now we remember him as being something different than he was up to that point. So here's the thought, right? Uh, what, ha- what happened for him was he realized his values were all off. And so he changed them, and he changed his legacy. Now here's the thing for you and I. Our values are going to... <clears throat> indicate our legacy, right? What you really value in life is what people are going to remember you for. Because that's what you put your time, your effort, your energy into. What you think is the most important is what you're going to do. Nobel thought the most important thing was making money. And the best way for him to make money was in the business he was in, was actually to be the author of Destruction and Death. And then he realized... That was not what he wanted to be remembered for. That was not what he wanted to uh, to, to be indicated as his value. And so he changed it. He changed his value system to something different. Now, as believers, if we're going to be successful, remember that's what we're looking at. We're looking at how we're going to be successful. One of the key issues for us needs to be our values. What are your values? What does success mean to you? I mean, when you die and you pass off this earth, I mean... What would success be? What would it look like? What would people say about you that would be successful? And we need to come at it from a biblical Christian perspective for it to actually be, for us to be successful. And it's a key issue because our values are a hidden driver in our lives. Right? If you value pleasure and you live for pleasure, well, that's going to be a driver in your life. If you value money and you live for money, that's going to be a driver in your life. If you value fame and applause, that's going to be a driver in your life. What do you actually value? 
We need to look at it and tease it through, all right? Okay, that's a word of prayer, and then we'll begin. Father in heaven, would you help us? Help us, Lord, as we look to your word tonight. Lord, help us to uh, be drawn to you, Lord, and to see and understand things from your perspective. Lord, may it not be uh, that we foolishly live our lives, Lord, for things that don't count. But, Lord, may we live for the things that do count. In Jesus' precious name, amen. All right, First John chapter 2. 1 John chapter 2. <clears throat> 1 John chapter 2, and we are looking at verse 15. We're going to start there anyway, right? Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. The world passeth away, and the lust thereof, but he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. That's a whole lot in those three verses, right? Uh, you're not to love the world, you're not to love the things that are, that are in the world, because it's going to stand in opposition to your love for the Father. Uh, <clears throat> All that is in the world is going to get burned up. Uh, the lust of the flesh. What's the lust of the flesh? What would the lust of the flesh be? Pleasure. Yeah. Living, living for pleasure. Living for the, for the lust of the flesh. Now, <clears throat> would that be a fitting thing for you to spend your life living for? No. Why? Because it's going to get burned up. Okay. <clears throat> uh, what about the lust of the eyes? What would that be? Everything you see you want. The economy of the Western world works on the lust of the eyes. They project pictures to you. They tell you you need these things. And um, they want you to live on that. But that's going to get burned up. What about the pride of life? What's the pride of life? Pardon? Say? Position and power. Really what people think of us. You know, those things. You know, that's going to be burned up. That's going to uh, be done. The world passes away and the lust thereof, but he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. Now, there's, there's, there's a knot in that one for us there, right? <clears throat> because what, what you're talking about when you're talking about the lust of the flesh and, and, and um, uh, the lust of the eyes and the pride of life, you're talking about visible, real things that we can touch and see and are, are, are around us. But when it talks about <clears throat> all those things are going to get burned up, but what's not going to get burned up is he that doeth the will of God. If you do the will of God in your life, that's not going to burn up. That's not going to be gone. That's going to last. That's going to be important in the life to come as well as in this life. So, <clears throat> And the problem with doing the will of God is you're not going to get applause for doing the will of God. Even believers oftentimes don't understand what you're doing. Doing the will of God is you doing what you know God will have you to do, regardless of how other people respond to it. But that's what we're supposed to live for. Now, it doesn't make any sense to succeed in an area that will ultimately pass away. And does it? It doesn't make any sense for you to succeed in an area that's going to pass away. So as believers, as children of God, we've, we've got to be in the place where what we're looking for is we're looking for value our values are set 
on something that's deeper, richer, more important, ultimately more real than what we see in the world, right? <clears throat> now look at me at Matthew chapter 6. It's amazing to me, by the way, that the most important things in Scripture are very often the most simple and the things that we know very well. But they're not the easiest things to apply in our lives. You see, it's easy for our hearts to go after the things of the world. It's just natural for us. It's just what happens. It's much more difficult for us to take, take and say, now, hang on a minute. I am going to make my value system based upon doing the will of God. Okay? Matthew chapter 6. <clears throat> Verse 19. Lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth where moth and rust doth corrupt and where thieves break through and steal. Right? So you lay up treasure for yourself on earth. Well, you can't be sure of having it because uh, it will rust and decay and thieves can break through and steal. It's <clears throat> the, the Bible says, trust not in uncertain riches. Right? You know, the, the fact that we lay up stuff for ourselves on earth is not an insurance like we think it is. Uh, we're not to live like that. That's not to be the focus, the goal of our lives. But lay up for yourselves treasure in heaven where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt and where thieves do not break through nor steal. Now, what's the problem with that for us? What's the, what's the, what's the problem with... <clears throat> I mean, you've got two options there. Laying up treasure in heaven... Or laying up treasure in earth. What's the problem with laying up treasure in earth? And heaven, rather. Okay, can't see it. Anything else? It's not tangible. You can't control it, Vincent? It's far away. Yeah. Um, you know. Now, so so if I could, if I could, if I could lay up treasure on earth, I can touch it. I can I can go onto the bank account to see how much money I've got in the bank. You know, I can go and look at the things I've bought with my money. You know, that's tangible, real here and now to me. And doesn't it make me feel secure? Right? <laughs> well, let me, let, let, let's test that one out for a second here, right? If I put 5000 in a bank account for you tonight, would you feel more secure than you did when you came in here? <laughs> isn't it amazing? <laughs> you know, isn't it amazing that those things have the ability to make us feel secure? Now, we all know. It could be gone like that. A problem comes up, a difficulty comes up, and it could be gone like that. But we're focused. We want the control, the security. So it's very easy for our value system to become one whereby what we do is we lay up treasure on earth. Right? Now, it's not wrong for you to plan. It's not wrong for you to do what you can, but that can't be your treasure. There's a problem when that becomes your treasure. Um, <clears throat> Verse 21 says, For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Now, isn't that true? That your treasure and your heart go together? That the thing that you value is the thing you're going to go after? The thing that you value is uh, <clears throat> your treasure. It's the thing that, that your heart goes after. It's the thing that's important to you. It's the thing that you're going to seek and ultimately the thing that you're going to live for. Alfred Nobel valued money. He was obviously good at making it. He was living for it. And then when he read that newspaper uh, <clears throat> article, you know, <clears throat> he realized, I'm living for all the wrong things. 
Now, we as believers do the same. We can live for um, <clears throat> pleasure. We can live for uh, the lust of the eye. We can live for the pride of life. We can live for those things, but they're all going to get burned up. And the problem with us is, for us is, that when our, that's our treasure. That's where our hearts are. Now, what's the problem with that? Where's your heart supposed to be? What's supposed to be the love of your life? God. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, soul, strength, and mind. I think sometimes we look at that and we say, yeah, that's, that's, uh, <clears throat> hopefully someday I'll get there. That is not a hopeful thought for you. That's a command. What Jesus did when he gave us that command was he stripped everything off the commands and he said, here they are. Ba-boom. Do this and you've got it. And what happens for us, though, is that we can very easily live our lives apart from the reality of making him the central value. My love relationship with him should be the central value. Let's continue on in Matthew 6 here, though. Uh, For where your treasure is there will your heart be also. The light of the body is the eye. If therefore then I be single, and thy whole body shall be full of light. But if then I be evil, thy whole body shall be full of darkness. If therefore the light that is in thee be darkness, how great is that darkness, right? Now, here's what it's talking about here. It's talking about the idea of your eye being single, your eye being focused. Not your eye being blurred and messed up and you, you can't really see. Tell me the idea of your eye being focused. If your eye is focused on the things of God, on the things of heaven, then what you've got is you've actually got a good situation with your values. But if your eye is not focused that way, you're in trouble. You have a problem. Uh, there's a program in the U.S. where they actually, in order to combat drink, drink, drink driving, what they do is they have these goggles they put on, particularly on kids, right? And the goggles allow the kids to see, but they distort the light. So that what happens is everything is blurred, and it's trying to duplicate the effect of being drunk, what it does. To get across to kids, if you're drunk, you shouldn't be driving, because you can't see straight. Everything is blurred. Your vision is all out of shape. Now, here's the thing. Uh, The world... When we let it into our hearts, impairs our ability to see spiritually. It puts us in a place where we're seeing distorted. Where we're, you know, spiritually drunk. We're not actually seeing things right. What we're doing is we're seeing uh, things from, <clears throat> from a worldly perspective and it's distorting the whole picture for us. Now, <clears throat> This is so basic and yet somehow so difficult for us because the world is the here and now and it just distorts everything. We get all caught up in the world. It becomes the focus for us. And we can't see straight spiritually then. Our hearts go after the things of the world in one form or another and we're not able to see straight. We're not able to see spiritually. Now, here's the problem for us. We're never going to succeed if we're not seeing straight. We just can't. 
Now, let me ask you another question. Do drunk people, and I know this varies, do drunk people always know they're drunk? No, half the time they'll argue, I'm not drunk. Do you ever have anyone who's falling around and they're arguing with you that they're not drunk, they haven't, they, they haven't taken a drink at all? You know, sometimes when we're caught up with the world, we don't see it. We don't know it. And what we do is we, we kind of level ourselves out with everybody else. Well, you know, I don't have a lot of money. Therefore, I'm not worldly. Having money or not having money has nothing to do with you being worldly. It's your heart. It's what your value system is. It's what you see as being important in life uh, that makes you worldly uh, or not worldly. <clears throat> Uh, if your value, values are right, you'll see clearly. If your values are not right, you're not going to see clearly. Let's, let's think it through for a second. Money, career, job, stuff. Can they make your life? I'll give you an example. <clears throat> right? um, when, when a builder builds luxury houses... He doesn't sell you a house, does he? He sells you a home. This could be your home. But the problem is that you can have a 5,000 square feet house with all the mod modern conveniences, with <clears throat> everything you can imagine in it. Does that make it a home? What's a home? How does it become a home? Fun? People? Okay, so we, we put people in it, but they all hate each other. Is it a home? No. There's, there's a loving bond in a home. And you see, the thing about it is that, you know, we, we, we are sold on the idea of these things make life work. They don't make life work. That's just not what happens at all. That is not. <clears throat> a beautiful house is not automatically a home. It, those things don't make life work. And yet from the time you were five, people were telling you that if you grew up and if you got a job and if you earned good money and if you got the right things, then you'd be very happy. Got the right job, got the right things, got the right husband, got the right wife, uh, <clears throat> had the kids, you'd be happy then. And all those things become the things that are going to make us happy. They don't ultimately make us happy. Look at Ecclesiastes 3, verse 11. Ecclesiastes 3, verse Somebody read it first there. Ecclesiastes 3, verse 11. Okay, he has set the world in their hearts. What does that mean? What are we looking at there? <clears throat> What it's talking about there is not the world, the physical world, but he set, 
he sent the, the world is there, but alongside of the world, there's eternity in our hearts as well. There's the reality that there's, there's more than just of this world. There's actually eternity. And you're aware of that, aren't you? That you're more than just a creature of this world. Oh, it's there. It's real. It's important. But you're more than that. And there's, there's this constant gnawing in your heart about the reality of eternity and the reality of, um, <clears throat> you know, where you're going and what you're doing. And it's there from a young age. You know, it's there. It's, it's real to you. There's more to it than all this. And <clears throat> what the world is telling you is, no, there's not. Just settle down. Calm down. Live for the here and now. Whatever comes, comes. You, know, you knock on people's door, and you know, uh, last night I'm knocking on doors, and uh, it was so dreadfully cold where I was, right? But what you got is you got these people looking at you, and they say, "I've got a job, I've got kids, I've got a house, I've got all kinds of things going on." And you want me to think about this as well, right? And what they're doing is they're pushing it away, but it has this nasty way of niggling away at everybody. And just catching them, the reality of God. And <clears throat> the world can't satisfy it. Right? <clears throat> um, advertising treats us like we're goldfish that need one more plastic plant in the fish tank. Now that's, 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 that, I think that's good. <laughs> but if, I had to, if I had the next thing, I'd be fine. No, you won't be fine. Uh, <clears throat> it's not, not, not going to help you. Let me read you. Uh, this is biographical from the author of the book, right? Uh, he says, my experience of values, uh, from the time I was a little boy, I had a sense of my mortality and somehow knew life was a phantom. I felt like I had a clock ticking in my head, reminding me I was going to die and my life had to count. I guess you could say I was having a child's version of an existential crisis. I've never needed an alarm clock my entire life. My wife says I don't even know how to work one. I always, even as a little boy, sat upright in bed at six o'clock in the morning. Uh, when the cartoons came on, I was there waiting. I was so anxious about life that I didn't want to miss a minute of it. I knew somehow wealth wasn't the answer because I had too many buddies that were from well-to-do families and they weren't happy. I'd been in their houses and seen what they were like, so I knew that wasn't it. It only took a, a year or two of school for me to realize that depending on my native intelligence was not going to be a productive goal for me. I felt that it would be a, be a success if I could make my name live on after I died. The only path that seemed to offer such fame for me was an athletic path, so football and baseball became my activities. I made it all the way to college without discovering that I would not be the greatest quarterback of the century. When the news broke, it was a revelation to me. Our team was 0-3 to three when it hit me. The coach benched me at halftime during a game against the great eastern power of the University of Akron. I was in school in the 1970s, enjoying the area and era of these players, and you wouldn't know them. I finally had to face the reality that I would never be as good as they were. You had a moment of that in your life? When you thought you were going to achieve something and do something, and you were going to be the person, you were going to be the man, you were going to be the woman in this area, and the moment came when you realized you're not. You're not going to be remembered for that. That's not what's going to happen for you. That may, may not be a bad thing. Let me say that to you. It may not be a bad thing for you to, uh, to realize that. He says, as I sat on the bench, I felt like I had just been given a terminal diagnosis. Football wasn't just something I enjoyed. Football was my life. It gave me meaning, or I hoped it would. It did as long as I won. 
but I wasn't winning anymore. <clears throat> Has that ever happened to you? When you realize, you know what? That's not it. That's not who I am. That's not what I am. That's a good thing for us to realize the things of the world are not what we are and not who we are. It's hard. He doesn't talk about it, but I'm sure that was a bitter game for him. When he realized it wasn't going to do it, he wasn't going to be that. He goes on, During my classes I began to observe in professors and peers that their lives were like sandcastles. Some had big sandcastles, some had little sandcastles, but I could tell that ultimately the ocean was going to get them. I knew they would be gone and nothing would be left. About that time I heard the gospel with new ears. The notion that we were eternal beings who could have eternal life reached to the deepest recesses of my soul. I didn't just have to be a recipient of heaven later on. I could be a participant in God's program now. I could spend my life bringing others to the knowledge of this message. I could, by the hammer and chisel of the Bible, help them build a truly successful, soul-satisfying life. That notion was the most wonderful thing I had ever known. I could be a fellow worker with God. Now, what could be better than that? What could be better than that for us? Isn't that where our value system needs to lie? And yet, <clears throat> it's so hard for us to lie there. Turn with me to the book of Haggai, Minor Prophet. Right? <clears throat> book of Haggai. After Zephaniah and before Zechariah. Now let me give you, in the book of Ezra, what you've got is, you've got <clears throat> um, 70 years are up of the captivity, and Cyrus decides all by himself, no he doesn't, God decides for, for Cyrus and has Cyrus do it, he decides to send the nation of Israel back uh, to Jerusalem. And so, <clears throat> I'll give you a minute to get it, have, you, have we found it? The book of Haggai. Um, <clears throat> it's there just before you come to the New Testament, right? But, <clears throat> but anyway, uh, so they decide to go back to, they, they go back to Israel, to, to um, Jerusalem to rebuild the city and rebuild uh, the temple, but Something happens when they get back. The people that were living there weren't all that happy to see them coming back. Right? They had it their own way. They were doing their own things. They were people that had taken over the land, much the same as what's happened in Israel today. You know, uh, the Palestinians are not all that happy to see them, right? Um, but they went back and they, they um, <clears throat> came back and all of a sudden a cry went up. And a letter was sent what are you doing sending these people back? Don't you know they've always been troublemakers? Don't you know everywhere they've gone they've caused trouble? Don't you know when, when, when Jerusalem was, a, uh, was the capital of Israel, uh, they were actually uh, a formidable nation and they caused trouble. And so they went and they searched in the records and they found it to be so. So they sent back word to Jerusalem, you're not allowed to build your temple. I want you to stop all building. Just calm it. Right? Now, so you've got all these people that have come back from <clears throat> Babylon. And remember, they've been living in Babylon for 70 years. They've, they've been doing okay in Babylon. They've been making money. They've got good lives together. You know, they're, they're, but God put it in their hearts, and, 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 and they left. They went back to Jerusalem. But, but you know what happens when they're told not to build the temple? They kind of settle down in themselves. So we can't build the temple... So they start building their own lives. 
and they take their skills and their abilities and and they buy in timber from Lebanon and they and 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 they start building nice houses and nice homes for themselves. And these people that started off with a heart and a passion to do what God wanted them to do end up falling by the wayside. So God sends a prophet to talk to them to straighten out their values. Right? So let's read some of the first chapter. We won't read all of it. Um, in the sixth year of Darius the king, in the sixth month, in the first day of the month, came the word of the Lord by Haggai the prophet unto Zerubbabel, uh, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua the son of Josedek the high priest, saying, Thus speaketh the Lord of hosts, saying, This people say, The time has not come, the time that the Lord's house should be built. They were told not to build it, they got fearful, and he said, The time is, uh, and they've decided the time has not come. Uh, <clears throat> Then came the word of the Lord by Haggai the prophet, saying, Is it time for you, O ye, to dwell in your sealed houses, and this house lie, lie waste? This house lie waste? So what was happening for them? They'd built themselves fabulous mansions and ignored the temple. Their values were about themselves. They had ignored uh, what God wanted them to do. They had ignored what God had sent them back to do. They hit an obstacle and they, and they ignored it. Now therefore, thus saith the Lord of hosts, Consider your ways. Ye have sown much and bring in little. Ye eat, but ye have not enough. Ye drink, but ye are not filled with drink. Ye clothe you, but there is none warm. And he that earneth wages, earneth wages to put in a bag with holes. That sounds like a miserable existence, doesn't it? You know, they're trying, they're working, they're doing, but none of it's enough. Would we say these people were successful? Could we say they were successful? Okay. Did they have nice houses? Yeah. But they weren't successful, were they? Their lives were hard and grim and miserable. And, you know, God is saying, think about it. Sometimes we need to think about our ways. You don't get successful just because you have in your head you want to be successful. You've got to consider what's happening in your life. If they were to measure their metric... If their metric, their measurement of how well they were doing was their sealed houses, were they successful? Yeah, because they had beautiful houses. But their lives weren't going well. They weren't, um, when they sowed, it wasn't yielding. Uh, They hadn't got enough to drink. uh, They had clothes, but they weren't warm. They earned wages, but uh, it went into holes. It just wasn't working out for them. Now God's going to tell them why. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Go up to the mountains and bring wood and build a house, and I will take pleasure in it, and I will be glorified, saith the Lord. He looked for much, and lo, it came to little, and when ye brought it home, I did blow upon it. Why, saith the Lord? Because of mine house that is waste, and ye run every man into his own house. Therefore the heaven over you is stayed from dew, and the earth is stayed from her fruit. And I called for a drought upon the land, and upon the mountains, and upon the corn, and upon the new wine, and upon the oil, and upon that which the ground bringeth forth, and upon men, and upon cattle, and upon all the labor of the hands. Right? Now, so, so what did God do? You talk to me, you tell me, what did God do? What did God do to this people that had left everything in Babylon and returned back to Jerusalem? What did he do to them? Were they dead? No, they weren't dead. What was happening in their lives, though? Then? It was hard. It was just 
Nothing was working out. Nothing was going right. There was no oil in the wheels. There was no blessing. It just wasn't happening. You know, God wasn't removing them from the land. He wasn't angry that he was going to take them away from the land. But he was, he was withholding blessing. He was putting obstacles in their way and every, and everywhere they went. So that it just wasn't working out. It just wasn't happening. Now, why? Why? Was God bent out of shape because he was jealous because they were doing their own houses and they weren't doing his house? Does God need a house to live in? He told David that when David wanted to build him, wanted him to build a house. Hey, you know what? I don't need a house. So why is God bent out of shape? What's the problem here? Okay, they're neglecting God. Okay. Why are they neglecting God? They're not depending on Him, right? Okay. The two wrapped up in themselves. Pardon? They have what they needed physically. They're glorifying themselves and not God. <clears throat> what was their value system? Pardon? Their own lives. The only thing was God their value system? Was pleasing Him their value system? Was He number one? Was He the love of their lives? That's what's wrong. That's what the problem is. The problem is that their value system is all wrong. Now, <clears throat> and because their value system is all wrong, they're, they're, they're devoting their lives to the wrong things. And God's not happy. God's accept, upset with them. Now, <clears throat> let me read you something. This is not exactly the way he puts it, but, <clears throat> but it's really good. God says, <clears throat> he says, I am the God of the universe. I own it. And I will not let it cooperate with you. You will always have bad fortune when you serve yourself rather than me. That's really good, isn't it? God owns the whole thing. And all he has to do is say, well, I'm not going to let it cooperate with you. If you're going to serve yourself and not me, I'm not going to let it cooperate with you. Now, I think that's a timeless truth. I think if I serve myself, you know what? God won't let the, the universe cooperate with me. Now, what does it mean when the universe doesn't cooperate with me? Well, the crops don't grow. And you're not warm, and everything goes against you. Because God owns all of it, and he's not an absentee landlord that's kind of forgotten about it. He's intimately involved in everything that goes on in your life. So what he says is, if you're going <clears> to <throat> serve yourself rather than me, I'm going to just not let it cooperate with you. The universe, life, is not going to work the way you want it to work. That, you know what? That makes a lot of sense to me. I think I've seen that in my life. I think I've seen that in my life where things were going well in one area, and yet the, the reality of my life was, you know what? It's not cooperating with me. Why doesn't it work? Why doesn't why do one things come together? Why can't I why can't I get things together and make them work and make them go in a straight line? Because God said it's not going to cooperate with you, with you Dave. You don't make me number one in your life. Now, by the way, <clears throat> I think that's mercy. I think that's mercy when God says, 
you know what? You're, 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 you're setting your value system all wrong here, and you're going to come up real short in the end, and you're going to be sad in the end because of the way you've set your value system. Uh, I'll tell you what, I'm going to get in your way and create some problems in your life uh, so that you get your value system straightened out. So that ultimately, I can bless you in the here and now, but boy, can I really bless you in, if you, in eternity. That's mercy. That's God operating in mercy in our lives. But God's able to do that in our lives. And, and you know, instead of just bashing our heads off the brick wall and saying somehow it's going to break, we need to say, God, what is wrong? You're able to make it all flow sweet and happy, and it's not. What is wrong? Just show me what's wrong, Lord, because I want to get it right. You know, <clears throat> a day of fasting and prayer where you get alone with God and you cry out to God could be a real help to you. Where you find out what it is that He wants. Because life only works when your value system is Him. What matters in your life? What's important to you? You say, well, he's the most important thing, but I've got a lot of other things that are important to me. Well, that can be realistically true. But you know what? If he's the most important thing in your life, it's got to be on the level where it's him that you want to please first. That's the only place where, where your value system is actually in the place where it needs to be. When God is the one that you're pleasing. When God is the one that you're looking to. When God is the one uh, whose smile you covet. And if everybody else is scowling and God is smiling, you're going to be okay because he's smiling. And by the way, you are okay when he's smiling. Because just the same way as he can make the universe work against you, he can make it all work for you. You're okay when he is, <clears throat> when he is smiling on your life. He, he can bring it all together. See what he says? <clears throat> he says, go up to the mountains and bring wood and, bring, and build a house. And I will take pleasure in it and I will be glorified. Right? <clears throat> um... And what God is saying is, listen, I'll take pleasure in it. And then I will bless. And he did. They did and he did. They got it and he did. He blessed them. That's what God... And by the way, <clears throat> don't ever feel ashamed of, you know, looking for the blessing of God in your life. You need it. Every single day of your life. You can't make it on your own. You need blessing. You need his hand. You need that sweetness. You need heaven to drop blessings into your life because you know what? It doesn't work apart from that. Let me ask you a question here. <clears throat> How much time do you spend with God each day? Entirely between you and him. How much time do you spend with God? Maybe you say, well, I don't spend much time with God. Now, do you know why? Because you don't need it. Or at least you feel you don't. Isn't that the truth? You feel you can make it on your own. You feel you're okay on your own. That's an indicator of where we are. Whether we're spending time with them or not. You know, <clears throat> I spend time with God each day. And I'm not ashamed to say this because I desperately need to spend time with him. Not doing him any favors. I desperately need him every day. He's being kind enough and merciful enough to show me I desperately need him every day. I can't do without him. 
There's a lot of things I can do without, but I cannot do without him. Now, sometimes it takes God quite a while to get that into our heads, isn't it? How many of you have tried going alone, doing a solo run? <laughs> it's a disaster, isn't it? It's a disaster. It, it's intended to be. Because what happens? You go your solo run, God says, okay, well, I will not let the universe cooperate with you. This is not good for you. I'm not going to bless it. I'm going to, I'm going to <clears throat> have the universe arrayed against you. It's not worth it. And that's a horrible day when you wake up and nothing works. And it's intended to press you to the place where you start crying out to him. <clears throat> now, how do you get your heart right? First of all, you pray and ask God <clears throat> to help you live for his glory. Now, that's not just a pious platitude. And that's not just for pastors or super Christians or somebody else. Living for his glory is what everybody in this room is supposed to be doing. Now, if you're living for his glory, you're not living for your glory. If you're living for his glory, you're going to do his will. And remember we started off with, but he that doeth the will of God shall abide forever. You living to do his will, you living for his glory is where it's at. Ask God to put that in your heart. Because you're not able to even do that much. We're not able to even do that much. Ask him to do that. Put that in your heart that you would live for his glory. Give him the first part of every day. Give him the first. Get up a little bit earlier. Give him the first part of every day. Give him the first part of the day. Spend that time with him, that first part, that first hour. Spend that time with him. I think it's important to do a first thing. You know, there's no biblical command to do it first thing. But I think it's important to do a first thing. Because what happens is, once the day gets going, your head starts spinning with the day, and it gets very hard to get back to that place where you settle down and you're quiet. And before you face people, you need to be with him. It's much better for the people if you're with him before you actually face them. <laughs> you can be much nicer to them after you've been with him than you would have been before. But give him that first part of your day. That's simple, basic stuff. But give him that first part of your day. <clears throat> Get yourself in church, right? This is Wednesday night, so most of you are, are, are always in church. Talk about what God is doing in your life. If something important's going on in your life, you don't have a problem talking about it. Isn't that true? Now, the most important thing going on in your life is your relationship with him. Talk about it. Tell people about it. That's, that's, by the way, that's natural witnessing. That's not you buttonholing people and saying, listen, let me tell you this. That's you talking about the reality, witnessing, bearing witness to the reality of God in your life. Natural flow. Natural for you to talk about the reality of God in your life. You see, <clears throat> we all have a value system. And it's amazing how our value system can be completely off and how it can be straightened out. There was a woman <clears throat> when the Titanic was sinking and they had put her into one of the boats. And they were, they were about to lower the boat down into the, into the ocean. And um, all of a sudden she said, listen, can I go back to my cabin room? And somehow they let her go back to her cabin room, but they said, listen, you've got two minutes, and if you're not back, the boat's going down, and you're, you're left behind. Once it goes down, we're not waiting for anybody. So, so she, she made a dash for her cabin. Now, she went through the gambling, the, 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 the casino place, and there was piles of money 
up against the side walls of the ship where it was tilting. She didn't stop for the money. Right? You know what? When you're about to go down to the cold ocean, it doesn't matter much. She dashed back to her cabin room. Uh, she got into her cabin room. She took her box of jewelry and put it to one side. And she found three oranges. That's what she was after. She didn't know how long she was going to be in the boat, and there were three oranges then. That's what she wanted. So of all the valuables on the Titanic right then to her, the most valuable thing was the three oranges. And she got her three oranges, shoved them in her bag or wherever she shoved them, and dashed back to her boat and got on the boat. You see, her value system was changed by the circumstances. Now, God's able to do that in our lives. You know what? <clears throat> Those people that Frank and Edel minister to, you know, <clears throat> the ones that are in prison, the ones that are, that are in, in, in police stations from 6 o'clock in the morning to 10 o'clock at night, you know, <clears throat> their value system has been straightened out pretty rapidly. They know what's important. <clears throat> um, God doesn't have to do that in our lives, though, for us to get our value system straightened out. We can set our value system right now on Him. We can ask for his help doing it. But we need, first of all, to come to the place where we say, that is what's most important. What's most important is him. I need him. And then we can set our hearts on living with that as our value system. And here's what we'll find in our lives. We're living in the right way, in the right place, and he is able to arrange things in our lives to work. He is able to arrange the blessings in our lives. Oh, listen, you're not going to get away scot-free with no troubles. Because you're, you're going to need troubles as well. But he's able to arrange it so that the universe is not working against you, that it's working for you. And then when you go to glory, you look back and you realize, I lived for the right thing. Now, I don't know what that would look in your, like in your life today. You do, though. What is it that needs to change in your life for him to be the central focus? Maybe you say tonight, well, you know, Pastor, as far as I understand, there's nothing needs to change. That's how I'm living. That's the reality of my life. Listen, fantastic. But maybe you say, that, you know what? I'm off, I'm off course. I'm, I, I'm going over here. I, I'm, I'm heading in the wrong direction. Ask him to help you bring it back online and live for him. You see, we didn't get to, to finish it, but in Matthew chapter 6, it comes down to seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Put him first, and he takes care of the rest. You know, <clears throat> but it is a promise, right? <clears throat> With a condition. Isn't it? Sometimes we ignore the condition. I remember dealing with a woman early in my ministry. And man, she got saved. And went around to her house. And she lit off me. Because God wasn't taking care of her. And God wasn't doing this. And God wasn't doing that. And God, <clears throat> God wasn't looking after her. And I, I just brought her to that verse. And I said, are you putting him first? No, she wasn't. If you put him first, he will take care of you. If you put him first, if you set him as being the focus and being the first thing in your life, he will take care of you. And when you're not being taken care of, it's 
it's legitimate to ask the question, why? What's wrong, Lord? Why? Why is, you know, my clothes are not enough, the money's not enough, the, nothing's working out, Lord. Why does it feel like the universe is against me? And get your heart back on track. You see, God's not expecting perfection from us. He knows his way too well to expect perfection from us. But he does expect us to set our sail in the right direction. He does expect us to make him number one and set our value system as him. That's what he expects. He's, he's very keen on that. See, you can't serve God and mammon. And if you're serving mammon, you're not serving God. And he wants you to serve him. So the deal is, you go after it, and you lose him and you don't get it. You go after him, and you get him, and you get the things you need as well. Where is it falling down? It's right for you to set that straight. You see, if you want to be successful, if you want your life to have that ring of success to it, you have to get your values straightened out. He has to be number one. Probably of all the things we're going to look at, you know, <clears throat> this is the key one. He has to be center stage in your life. He has to be the most important. If he's not, make him. And enjoy success. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this evening. Thank you for your people. Lord, we do pray that you would just bless. Lord, would you help us tonight, Lord, uh, to make you the center of our lives. And Lord, each one in this room covets your smile and covets your blessing. Lord, if there be something that would stand between us and you in that, Lord, would you remove it? And would you in mercy, Lord, let us know blessing. Oh, Lord, what a terrifying thought that you would... Uh, tell the universe not to cooperate with us. Or may that not be so in any of our lives, but Lord, may it be uh, that your blessing is seen in everything because we're following you and you're telling, uh, you're making sure that we're taken care of. Bless, we pray in Jesus' precious name. Amen. <clears throat>